0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. We have another incredible episode lined up for you today. But before we get into that, huge shout out to all of our amazing sponsors, Janice International, Store Local, Live Oak Bank, and Tenant, Inc. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You guys probably hear us talking about these guys on the podcast all the time. Janice International, tons of amazing people, tons of amazing products, services. Their no-key service, their R3 program, all these different aspects to help you build an amazing storage facility or upgrade your storage facility. Uh, just a fantastic group. Store Local, it's honestly one of the biggest threats to self-storage is, is market consolidation and everything that goes along with that. So enter Store Local, the largest storage co-op in the world, just amazing people again, tons of tons of awesome people there and uh, amazing solutions to bring everybody's resources together and uh, utilize those in an effective way to be able to compete and also thrive in a world of competition with some of these larger REITs and the big players in the self-storage industry. Check out Store Local. Amazing, amazing opportunities there. Live Oak Bank. I don't know how many of you guys came to our live event in Coeur d'Alene just this past year, but uh, we had some amazing conversations with Live Oak Bank there, and they were probably one of the most popular uh, (laughs) topics there in our our breakout sessions. And and people want to know. They want to know the financing. You guys want to know what the solutions are, what the deals look like all these different aspects to financing. Live Oak Bank is that answer specifically for self-storage. They specialize in storage, which is just incredible. There's no learning curve for them to understand the asset. They know it. They've been there before, and they can help you see things that you might not even be seeing yourself. So Live Oak Bank, amazing. Check the link in the show notes. And last but not least, Tenant Inc. Tenant Inc. is an incredible slew of products and services, essentially, for your storage facilities to help automate, to help streamline, to help optimize your business and your storage facility. They've got uh, their Hummingbird platform, Nectar platform, uh, their Mariposa platform just to scrape the surface here their property software. the big thing about this is the API is open. so you guys can actually you, you own your data, you can use other third parties and back that into your systems. It's not this closed system that, that only uses proprietary X, y, and Z. You guys have total control over your data, total control over these various aspects of running your business, uh, running your storage facility. And uh, they just got some amazing products. Again, these are storage owner operators that have created and developed these solutions. And uh, it's just an amazing platform. So check it out. Without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Looking
1: to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're gonna discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self Storage Income. Welcome everybody to Self Storage Income, and today we have an absolutely awesome podcast, isn't that right, Connor?
0: Uh, it's going to be epic, going to be super epic. I didn't know which uh, microphone I was talking into there for a sec. Uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> so many uh, to choose from. Figuring out life here. Uh, no, it's going to be fantastic because this is one of those things we had uh, we had Chris Lawrence on just recently. New to the self-storage game six months ago, didn't have a storage facility. Bought a storage facility, uh, just closed in November. We have a lot of these people that are just getting into storage, that are diving in. That you know, maybe they they found a market, they found a facility, but then what? Like, how do yes. you actually get something under contract? How do you actually start executing and uh, moving forward? And uh, super excited to bring the one and only and our very own uh, Mr. Brian Malali in. What's up, dude? How you What's doing? going on, guys?
1: Glad Excited to be back. to have you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, dude. We need to pull you in more often. Hang out. Chit-chat. Exactly. He's been He's been
1: too busy landing deals. <laughs> yeah. Too, oh, too busy getting it
0: done. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's crunch been... time, so. Yeah, yeah. How many contracts did you say you're working on, like, right before this? Like, eight? Eight. Something like that.
2: On the whiteboard. There's eight that are—eight <laughs> balls in the air that we're trying to juggle right now, so it Sweet. never ends. Yeah. yeah. Fun stuff, though.
0: Good opportunities. So, yeah, one of the big things is, obviously, first and foremost, you find a facility— you're ready to get it under contract. What exactly does that mean? And what's that document?
2: Yeah, so this is definitely a a step that I feel like a lot of people get hung up on. But really, a letter of intent is just outlining the terms of what you're proposing to the seller uh, for purchasing that facility. So it's going to call out all of your big kind of ticket items that you're then going to take and then work in towards your purchase and sale agreement. So our letter intent is a pretty simplified version. I mean, sometimes it'll get a little bit more complex, but usually we're working off two to three pages, um, just some bullet points, some headers of how are we going to propose this structure for buying this facility? Um, So just starting off, you know, obviously we want to hit on the, the purchase price, we're going to talk about how much earnest money we're putting down, um, who, what title company we're going to be using. So kind of just get the conversation rolling with this document and handing it over to the seller. That way you're working off a simplified version rather than a purchase and sale agreement, which can get pretty confusing. So you're working off this letter of intent to come to terms with the agreement
1: uh, to get this transaction moving forward. Now, when you're outlining this and you're really working with um, either the broker directly with the seller and you're trying to say, okay, we, you know, this isn't binding, but this is the living document in which everything is going to really be built off of. And it, it too, it's a way that you use to really lock that seller in, right? So it's not a PSA, but it's getting them to agree with you on how this is going. And then it's just waiting for the attorney. So it's it's actually a really short time, right? You're just putting this out there, they agree to it, and then it's going to attorneys. Right, exactly. So it helps speed
2: up that process because it gets over the hump of just narrowing out the details of the big ticket items in that purchase and sale agreement. And it's much easier to negotiate and trade back and forth off a two or three page document than
1: working off that purchase and sale agreement. And walk me through what do you think are the main things on both sides that the sellers care about and that you as the buyer are looking out for and that you're like, these are kind of the generally the big things we care about.
2: Yeah. And and that's the the great thing about these LOIs is All of those big uh, pain points with the seller or big contingencies that they want to include or you want to include are hashed out and everything's brought to the table early on in the negotiation. And that helps you give a bigger picture of this whole deal as a whole. Um, So each deal is so unique and different. Each seller is going to have their own. Contingencies that they may want to, may want to add in or uh, different unique aspects, but really what it comes down to is at this point you've underwritten the deal, you know what you want to put forward as far as an offer, and then it's um, working through some of those unique things unique
1: aspects that come through on each and every one of these deals uh, now obviously, we have things like the purchase price, right, other things that you know, would be really important to understand is, you know, the due diligence period, the time that, um, really when your money goes hard, right? Like that's a big, important piece. Um, also are the discussions around, what those intel include in that like are you saying what does does this document do you start to build out things like what is included in that due diligence as in what rights do we have or don't have or is that weighted for a psa
2: yeah no we like to get any of those questions kind of aired out during this this time period when we're working off the LOI so to get into that review period you know we'll always put you know 30 45 60 90 days if we can get it for that due diligence period And we also kind of want to preface that seller of what's our expectation for information that we need to be receiving. Um, So we want to give them and the sellers enough information of, okay, once we go under contract, here's what to, what's to expect from us. Here's the documents that we're going to need to see. Here's the information that we're going to ask you for. So we do like to bring that up during this phase two. That way there's no surprises when you get to the purchase and sale agreement because we've, I mean, if you're in this game long enough, you're always going to have those deals that negotiations are going well off the bat. And then you get to a, a contract and for whatever reason, friction occurs, things start grinding and then the deal will blow up or it'll you'll lose it and you'll have to move on. So being upfront and especially on those types of questions that are going to be coming up from the seller standpoint and being mindful of that during this this phase right here, setting that expectation early is really what this LOI is. And uh, I know in our contract, that's obviously a big a big piece of that LOI is is how long is the due diligence period, and what does that entail. So we've got kind of our internal process. We've got our questionnaire that we'll share with the seller or the broker as early on as possible, and be very transparent and say, hey, we've got our own internal system. Um, that we've been refining for years, and and this is how we do it. This is what we'd be expecting from you, and just kind of set that expectation early on.
1: And is this a document that uh, all attorneys people are familiar with? So if if it's your first time and you want to put out an LOI, is that something? What uh, you know, is there a specific attorney you need to go to? Or yeah, the, I mean, the great thing about LOIs is
2: it's it's a non-binding contract, and you're really just putting putting those terms of the. Um, purchase and sale on paper. So that way you can negotiate them. So there's plenty of templates out there. Um, you can have an attorney help you and advise you on that, but there's plenty of good templates out there that you can work off of because it's still the basic outline of that contract that you're working towards. So, um, it's always good to have an attorney on your team and, and be sharing those with them. Um, but it's also an agreement that's, that's kind of, like I said, it's an, a non-binding contract. So you, you do have a little bit of flexibility on there as far as trading back and forth.
0: Okay. Have we ever had any issues and how have we dealt with those issues? Like if we have an LOI, we send it out, the parties are under a, a certain understanding and, and being non-binding if things change. Let's say the seller comes back and wants to change something. Have we ran into that before?
2: Of course. Yeah. yeah. There's how always, do we deal with that? There's always things that are going to be either found during that phase or, um, you know, new information that's going to come to light, that's going to change either the seller or the buyer's stance. So in those instances, you just kind of work through them depending, hopefully they're not deal breakers, but, uh, more often than not, you can find a way to get, get through them. And whether it's just adding language in or identifying those issues, and then talking with your attorney to get that language into your purchase and sale agreement, that's going to protect you and make sure that the transactions moving smooth. Is this an
1: expectation of sellers or is it? do some sellers like, no, let's just go into a PSA? Or is this standardized? Definitely. I
2: mean, we've had several instances and, and that goes to a relationship too. Deals that we've been working on for a long time that we've got a good relationship with the seller. They know us. Maybe we've visited with them already. They feel comfortable with us. We've already had several conversations about our offer and our terms and everything of what to expect. Um, We've had instances where they feel comfortable. We have a good understanding. Let's move into the purchase and sale agreement and and just kind of expedite this thing, which is great. Um, We've had deals that have, have gone that way where the seller just said, hey, skip the LOI. Let's go straight to the purchase and sale agreement. But we didn't have a good enough relationship with them and we didn't have those details squared away. And then it cost us more money in attorney's fees because we were trading back and forth a purchase and sale agreement, which is a 40 or 50 page document rather than a three or four page document because we didn't have all of
1: these, um, expectations set before going in. Yeah. And it's a it's a really important piece. Like, you know, these things move fast. They trade, not all sellers, you should be buying from. It doesn't fit your situation. It doesn't fit what you're looking for, right? There's other things that may be included. Um, and there's a lot of unknowns that go into this. Third-party reports that we deal with, right? This comes down to, will the seller get information uh, from you? So when you're putting this LOI together, this setting the stage for how this will go, right? It, it, it's really, really important. And uh, it ties back to... Um, you know, when you're in the deal, those foundational things that happen. So what, because there's obviously the written part of the contract, but there's also the spirit of the contract. Things happen. Well, hold on. We didn't get some of the stuff that we were saying it was somebody else's problem and whatnot happened. But right. The whole point of the contract, we, we agree in principles and we don't want little things to hick us up or move on. So both sides are generally lenient to certain things, Right but then there's obviously the big stuff and the big stuff people tend not to be lenient at all on. And uh, that's really what you're trying to get down to in this is what are the things that really will make this deal go South? What are the things that will just make it? So I shouldn't be working with you seller. I'm not your buyer. Right. And you need to find somebody else. And that's for me, that's really what this document does.
0: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And speaking to that, Brian, do you want to just run through like each of these uh, that we have? Actually, we're we're sitting here looking at some of these LOIs that we actually have. Um, And first page, I mean, it kind of gives just an idea of what this letter of intent is, gives a property location description, uh, gives the buyer information, seller information, property description, purchase price, earnest money deposit covers that, uh, purchase and sale agreement. and a review period, uh, let's see, we've got title review. Um, do you want to dive into any of these? we got title review, survey review, documentation, closing, closing costs, prorations, yeah. property access, commissions, 1031 exchanges, exclusive, government approvals, confidentiality, acceptance, um, allocation of purchase price, and then just some some text on here. Do you want to kind of dive into what, especially in some of like the review period, title review, survey review, kind of what these are and why they're important.
2: Yeah, we can jump into a little bit more detailed on some of these. Um, so our process too, just to kind of set the table, we've got our our baseline LOI and, and we're pretty much reusing that over and over and editing it for each deal. So many of these pieces in here won't get touched from deal to deal. So we'll kind of just dive into some of the ones that, you know, you want to pay a little bit more attention to. So, um, well, obviously purchase price, that's going to be one of the first things that everyone looks at, but then going from there into your earnest money. So what, what is that amount of money that you're going to be putting down? Um, you know, typically on a storage deal these days, we'll see anywhere from 50,000 to 250,000 of earnest money or even larger, depending on the size of the deal. Um, but, uh, we'll set that there. And, and the the thing about the earnest money is that's refundable in your due diligence period. So it's not, it's not a huge, um, obviously it's cash that you got to put up, but, uh, it's something that you're not going to lose. It's refundable. As long as you're doing that due diligence and if you find something that you don't agree with in this deal and you can't negotiate out, you can always get that back. So we'll, uh, like I said, typically fifty dollars to $250,000 in there. Um, we'll also call out the title company, especially if you have a good relationship in that area that we're buying this facility with. If we have got a great relationship with a title company, we're always going to try and um try our best to be working with them we've got the relationship we can lean on them we know who to call uh we've got those close contacts so that's that's one piece right there then moving forward uh we always call out too in our LOI that the purchase and sale agreement is going to be off the buyer's form of the PSA which essentially means that our attorneys are going to be the ones that are drafting And then we'll send it to the sellers for their comments and red lines Mm. and revisions. Yeah. Um, That just kind of keeps us in charge. We're always working with our close, you know, attorney team. Uh, We never feel like we're out of control at any point.
0: Taking control of contracts is super, super important. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then too, on the the earnest money, do you want to tell people where, like, where does that earnest money go? Like, who are they giving that to?
2: Yeah, so depending on which title company, title or it depends on which state you're in and what the laws are, but typically, you know, it's going to be a title or an escrow company. So you're going to wire those funds. It'll be called out typically in your purchase and sale agreement. So in ours, it's pretty standard. Uh, once the deal is executed within one to three days, we'll wire that earnest money deposit to the title company. It's held there in escrow during the due diligence period. Um, if you were to find something that you didn't agree with in the deal and wanted to and needed to back out. Obviously, it's never a good thing, but sometimes you have to. You would uh, notify all parties. You'd notify the the escrow agent. You'd notify the seller, any brokers, anybody involved in the transaction. Tell them you're you're backing out essentially, and then the escrow company will wire those funds back to you. If it's past the due diligence deadline, that's when your money goes hard, and you're either committed or you're going to be losing that. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: And I think one of the big things about this is even if you don't have a deal, you should be looking at letter of intents, understanding what they mean, seeing deals that are coming out and really working because a lot of this stuff people may get into, oh, I found a deal. Well, now I have to do this letter of intent. Well, I don't know. What? is my duty? What is this? You need to be prepared with these things. So you should be pulling out a standard commercial, you know, whether it's self-storage LOI and be looking at this letter of intent and trying to understand, first of all, what you can do, right? So some people go, I can't do 60 days. Or I can't do, you know, I may not, or somebody may say, I have cash, I can do 30 days. So what can you do and what can't you do? Because that is also going to play a big role whether you get that deal or not, right? The contract, the price is one point, but the contract is another. And so you need to understand in deals what your... Range is mm-hmm. and at where you can benefit, what you can offer that other people can't, and how you can maneuver. And that is represented in the LOI when you turn it in. You're kind of saying, listen, I'll do this. Right. And so if you find a deal and have to figure that stuff out, right, you're going
2: to lose the deal. Yeah. AJ brought up a good point because you want to be very comfortable with your LOI. Um, so many of the deals these days opportunities come up you got to be able to move quick and and being comfortable with that LOI knowing what you need to edit and change and where you need to be strong and where you've got some some move to negotiate with yeah. you've got to be firm on that and and again it's a non-binding contract it's getting that negotiating negotiation going it's working towards that purchase and sale agreement um, so being super comfortable and confident with this document
1: uh, is is definitely key. But mm-hmm. two, it should be known that it's non-binding, but if you send out an LOI and then go into a PSA agreement that's totally different, that's not good. Yeah. So we had somebody do that to us and we're literally like, we're not doing the deal anymore. Yeah, you can certainly burn burn bridges with brokers,
2: sellers, if you're just very loose with your LOIs. So, you know, it's, we've got a pretty set process here internally of when a deal gets to a certain point and it checks these boxes, this is when we bring out the LOI, because we know we're 90 plus percent confident that we're going to buy this deal unless something crazy happens. Um, But we've vetted it, we've underwritten it, we understand it well enough where we, we feel confident that we can execute um, cause there are a lot of people that will be very loose with these LOIs and that's a strategy, but, um, you know, as far as a long-term play, a long-term game, you, you don't want to be loose with your LOI. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's no. a good, really good point. Really good yeah. point for sure. And sorry, Brian, I kind of jumped in and like, it kind of went off track a little bit. You talked about the, the purchase and sale agreement and controlling that document. Um, and then next up was going to be that review period, uh, which is really just your review period um which is i mean generally we're seeing what 60 days
2: yeah so your review period or your due diligence period whatever you want to call it um this will this will change changes with the seasons i mean we're sitting here middle of december uh whereas uh, just a couple months ago we could probably squeeze to get a deal done with 30 days due diligence it'd be tight but we probably could now with the holidays i mean everything's just extended out so you know realistically it's 45 to 60 days that we would need at this point in the year um but those are those are great points for negotiation and great conversations to be having with the seller um obviously in a competitive bid situation that gets looked at closely but it's it's a good conversation to have with a seller or a broker and just be very realistic and say, Hey, I've already talked to my lender, I've talked to my bank, I've talked to appraisers or surveyors, and I already know what their lead times are and what they're telling mm-hmm. me. I could tell you that we could do this in thirty days, but I'm not gonna have everything ready to go. I need sixty days. And that's a that's a good conversation to have it and is. set that expectation and it's 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 hard fact. Yes. I mean you don't want to be going back to a seller and saying, "Hey, I, I need more time," and, no. and keep going back. You want to set that expectation from from day one. And obviously, if it's a if the deal structured cash and there's different um, different options in front of you on how you're mm-hmm. you know putting that deal together, you could you maybe can if it's a seller finance deal, maybe you can get by with a shorter period. But and and two, I
1: think uh, the LOI is a good time to be. Trying to understand in the negotiation the pain points of the seller and trying to figure out, you know, it's amazing that especially in the deals that we've done, you know, sellers have different things they're trying to achieve. Of course, some are just after quickest close, highest amount, right? But that's not all sellers at all. Um, And uh, one of the big things that I think is really important for people to understand is that brokers and sellers are really nervous about the contract falling out. That's absolutely the worst thing for the broker and the seller. And the PSA goes through, you guys agree upon everything, and then you just cut out at due diligence because you you had five other properties under contract, right? Brokers get that and they don't want to give you deals anymore and they don't want to do it. And we've got deals that we were we were hundreds of thousands below the highest offer. But they go, yeah, these guys will actually close. We we know we trust these guys. So you try to represent that in the LOI and that may not be the quickest close. You may say, "Listen, I can't close thirty days and sixty days. Right, I may need ninety days for this. But let me show you this. I can close, and I will close.
0: I think that's a really good point to to cover, especially for for those looking to just get into storage, where you, you you're not sure of those expectations, and where you might feel pressure to bend on those due diligence periods and review periods and things, um, and say that you can close or know that you can't, and it's have it under contract and then have to back out or whatever. Um, I I think that's super, super important um, because in recognizing that you do hold value as somebody that Mm -hmm. understands what this process is, I mean, that's a huge amount of value for a seller to know that they have somebody that's knowledgeable, that can actually execute and follow through, that knows what this whole process looks like and isn't going to sit there and – Try to do something that's just not going to happen
1: yeah, and it's not going to pan
0: out. So because it's a huge waste of their time, huge waste of everyone else's
1: time um, so that there's a ton, a ton of value in there. So I love that you brought that up. Well, it's one of the things that, you know, we work with even on the inner circle. Brian's talked to them about and they come into our group and we talk about preparing. It's not just about finding a deal. Like it's, you know, it's so funny because so many people are always like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to find a good deal. Well, you don't have anything prepared. You're not ready, Right. And two, most of the time, you don't even know what a real good deal looks like. So with the inner circle, it's like, okay, what is it actually a good deal? But then what do you need to do this? Like, what do you need to actually get that deal under contract, right? Um, I'm shocked by people that say, oh, I, I can't find a good deal, but they're not prepared. They're not actively looking or engaged. And we're going, well, we're finding good deals. Lots of people are. So maybe you should work backwards, Maybe we should really work at getting ready for when a deal comes, analyze the deals, and then have more of a reason to buy the deal besides the fact that it's a good deal. Mm -hmm. For example, when you're working with a seller and we talk about the reason you're doing it or the reason you're buying it, simple examples, Um, I I own assets in this market. I live in this market, right? I've identified this. This is where we're coming right? So listen, I'm buying this one or another one or I'm building, but I'm entering into this market. That's what brokers and sellers want to hear, right? This isn't a, oh, I'm going to go through due diligence. And if I think it's a home run, I'll buy it. But if not, I'm backing out. It's like, no, I'm purposely coming into this contract. I'm closing. I'm not getting in PSA to figure out if I want it. Mm-hmm. Well, no, like, I want it. That's made, why I'm putting it in a PSA.
0: And you made a really important distinction where like, yeah, you can find good deals in a lot of places, but like you should be identifying those good markets. Yes. Like identify the markets and then you want to then identify deals. Yes. Um, I, I, just tons of gold right there for sure. Yeah. And the
2: last thing, like AJ said, the last thing from a seller standpoint too, they don't want to go under contract with somebody that's their confidence in them to close is low because the last thing they want to do is go through that whole process give them give you all of their information all of their documents waste two to three months on this and then you back out they don't want to do that they want to make sure that whoever they're selling to they've got that confidence that they're going to do the deal and that goes back to again what what aj was saying having a framework for in the acquisition side of the business, like you have to be prepared. Like that next deal is coming tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to execute very quick. You can't just sit back. So you gotta be doing those proactive steps. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, we've got our whole questionnaire and due diligence process so we can talk on that with the seller right away and say, walk them through, okay, we let's say we go under contract, here's how that's gonna look. And that that just Exudes confidence to them, like okay, yeah, I feel much more confident. They just told me this whole process. I don't even know, you know. A lot of them are mom and pop owners, so they don't even understand all this stuff. But as long as you have a game plan and you're, um, you know, ready to go at a moment's notice, that's that's what you want to set yourself up for.
0: I think I think you hit the nail on the head too, there, Brian, with like the sellers not really knowing and understanding a lot of times this process and and what it entails. And again, tying into what you said, AJ, it's like solving their problems. This is one of their problems. Yeah. Not understanding, a lot
1: of times, yeah. not understanding time. the, Mom and the process. Yeah. And They'll hold on able- to
2: a facility just because they're not sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're not sure. They will. You're right. Yeah. It's it's to they're confused.
1: It's ner- they're nervous about it. So they're, I'm
0: just not going to sell. Such a good point. Such a good point. Um, So after that, we had kind of like the review period where you're ordering inspections or your surveys, essentially. Uh, Then we've got the title review section. I know we just recently had a facility where we had some cloud on title that we had to go back and and the seller had to get kind of figured out. Is there anything common that you see in titles? Like, I mean, what are are we supposed to be looking at in titles? Uh, If you kind of want to just give like a 30,000-foot view of that.
2: Yeah, title is one of those things that – most times it's not an issue, but when it is it's a huge issue so it's it's kind of boring it kind of gets doesn't get talked about a lot uh, but like Connor said, we just had an issue come up so in that title review period, once you execute the contract and you're working with that title and escrow company, they're gonna open the title on this and start doing that um the title work and and going through the history of that property, understanding you know what easements or who owns it. Um, cause that was what just happened to us on a deal. The seller actually didn't own the property. So, um, that's something that you definitely want to have a good understanding of and just talk through once you get that title commitment back from, uh, the title and escrow company, uh, talk through that either with your attorney, with the title company, just make sure you understand those pieces in there. Um, cause it can definitely throw some wrenches into
0: a deal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Next up on that uh, on the LOI, we have the survey review period, which is uh, really the the time frame for you to get your surveys and review them, and then approach the seller with any kind of objections that you might have. Just kind of outlines that. Um, that next one up to, after that, uh, we, item 10 is documentation, where the seller is supposed to deliver to you within said timeframes. Um, just any and all documentation on the facility, on the property. Is yeah, there any so that's, specific documentation that you're looking for? So that's where we
2: get, get pretty detailed. We don't yeah. go... Uh, a mile deep on this, but we're also having that conversation setting the table. But here, you know, we're asking for all of their financials, any uh, surveys that they have done with the property uh, building plans, literally basically this section just tells us, tells the seller, we want to see everything um, kind of leaves it open to that. Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah. This no, is, this great, is, man. This is really good,
1: good information. This is super helpful. Um, we put on the YouTube on YouTube, I think it, it maybe gone out this week, maybe not. But we have like our due diligence list too, which kind of compares to that. So we'll, we'll, let's do another podcast, I think, and go through our due diligence list That'd where we it. can all have a conversation about what includes. Great. That Definitely. is such a huge subject, mm-hmm. and I keep wanting to jump into it right yeah. here, but I'm like, we can't even touch it because we got to end it now, anyways. <laughs> and I'm like, and that yeah. is such a deep. Topic And there's so much to go over, but it is so vital because this is setting the stage, but then the work comes through the due diligence and understanding what those things mean. So we'll have you back on to do that. But Brian, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Um, guys. Also, too, we do got to mention, though, um, we have uh, our YouTube is up and a lot of people that were wondering about the event. I wanted to share. We're putting up those. um, Our live event. Our live event. Yes. Some of those live events are now coming up on YouTube. We're getting those up. We have mine. We have others um, that are coming up as well. So be watching out for that because we just got flooded with people that missed the live event. And you can't can't see all of it, but it can give you a snapshot into some of the stuff because it was awesome.
0: It was incredible. Definitely check it out. Links are all in the show notes. Thanks a bunch, guys. Thanks, everybody. next time.
1: Yeah.